This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Monday, August 21st of 2017, it's episode 116. In this episode, Jack Birkenstock of the Bodana Group joins us to discuss therapeutic gaming for grief, abuse, and more. Plus, gameable Saturday morning cartoons, Save Against Fear 2017, a Christian D&D subreddit, and much more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And I'm Jack. Yay! <laughs> it's Jack. <laughs> it's only been 91 episodes. We finally got Jack Birkenstock back. Yay! Long time in the planning. Long time in the planning. <laughs> it really has been. Jack, how are you, man? Oh, I have been uh, wonderfully busy. There's been so m- Oh my gosh, we're g- there's going to be so much to talk about today. Life has been good. Life has been... Uh, hectic, but life has been moving forward as it is oft want to do. So, for those of you unfamiliar with episode 25 of Saving the Game, probably our most referred to episode. Yeah, it it is an episode we refer people back to a lot Uh for good reason. Jack, you're the executive director of the Bodana Group. Tell everyone who's listening, maybe who doesn't know that episode, who you are, what the Bodana Group is at a very high level and what you guys do. All right. I'm the uh, executive director, like you said, and uh, one of the founders of the Bodana Group, and we're a uh, 501c3 nonprofit. We are based now in our new location of York, Pennsylvania, and we use tabletop gaming, whether it be board games or narrative role-playing games, as uh, educational, developmental, and therapeutic intervention and modality. So... We kind of like to say it could be anything from playing a a co-op deck builder to develop social skills and collaboration, all the way up to using games like uh, Pugmire, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, for development of social skills also, because, you know, let's face it, you're around a table. But also, uh, we kind of use it to explore a little bit deeper therapeutic uh, issues, if you will, like uh, folks that might have anxiety issues, depression, trauma we use the structure of the narrative to help people rehearse and play through relevant material. Okay. I know last time we had you on, we spent a lot of time talking about trauma in particular. It's nice, and I hope we're going to talk about this, you really kind of are more than just an organization that talks about trauma. Uh, Yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, one of the things, just to kind of give all the listeners out there my background, I'm a master's level therapist. I have been uh, working in the human services field for about 23 years. The predominant amount of my experience, I'd say at this point, it's probably about 17 years of that 23. I specialize in working with rehabilitation and uh, safety and management of persons with sexually problematic behaviors, which has also kind of gotten me in contact to doing a lot of trauma work because a lot of the folks who uh, have engaged in those type of behaviors are also victims themselves of uh, sexual abuse. So, So I've kind of worked both sides of that coin. Uh, because it, there's value on both sides. And that's my main experience. But, of course, working in human services, I've, I've worked with kids on the autism spectrum. I've worked with people with anxiety, ADHD, bipolar. So, uh, you know, as far as my history, it kind of extends professionally into a lot of different realms. So, no, it's it's uh, not just about trauma. But, again, that it, that is probably one of the areas that I personally, you know, specialize in. Well, Jack... It's great to have you back on. It's been too long, honestly, uh, but we kind of wanted to wait. I know you, you've had a bunch of cool things in the works, uh, but we, we couldn't wait anymore, man. It was just, the pressure was too great to have you back. 
Wow, pressure. Wow, now I'm feeling pressure. Hey. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> no, no, internal pressure. It's like, like we haven't talked to Jack in ages. We're yeah. going through Jack withdrawal. Yeah, I, I, and, I, and now we're, we're doing this summer of mental health issues and stuff. So it, it'd be a good time to, to talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah, the topic structure stuff, it's been absolutely wonderful lately. I mean, I love this series kind of focusing in on this little area in my corner of the world here. So I, oh, it's wonderful to be back. Can't believe it's four years already. I know. It doesn't seem that long. And then it's like, wait, really? Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Too long. Yes. I just tend to gauge the age of the podcast by the age of your child, and that just kind of blows my <laughs> mind. So she starts school tomorrow. Yeah, I know. Who I'm let so this happen? Uh, you did. <laughs> I, I hate yeah, to you bring and this your to you, wife, Greg, this actually is partly, let that at least, this is at least partly your fault. That she's I know, starting I'm school well aware, Roughly but... 50% your fault, I would say. <laughs> and, and she's gone to preschool and stuff, so this is not a huge transition. But yeah, she starts public school tomorrow, and I'm super excited, and she's super excited. But it is, it's going to be a change. And so, it, whew, yeah, wow. one of those. Um, a quick note for listeners, by the way, we are recording the evening after the, quote, Great American Eclipse, where we had this total eclipse go across the, the U.S. So I think all of us got to look mm-hmm. at it some, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah, it was checking it out there, and it, again, didn't didn't have uh, uh, the experience. Jared from Bodana, he, uh, he took the whole fam uh, down to Kentucky, where they had mm-hmm. uh, pretty much almost like 100%. So he, he got the full package right there. So I'm, uh, some all kinds of jelly, as the kids will say, or maybe they don't say <laughs> I'm not, you know. <laughs> I, slang and I don't get along very well. Uh, that's fair. It was meet the teacher day today. And so I was going to have to take some time off anyway to go to that. But it's also the eclipse day. And we had about 38 seconds of total eclipse time, uh, totality. So... Got to go out there with uh, the five-year-old daughter, get the glasses out and look at it and watch it go, look at the shadows, the cool crescent-shaped shadows, and or the uh, the spots of light, for example, between trees and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. It was really cool. That's Quick awesome. thing to note, by the way, when you live kind of out in a rural area with nothing but dogs and coyotes around, <laughs> they go crazy <laughs> when the sun goes out. Well, I bet that was cacophonous for a while. It actually was, because it, go- it gets cold briefly because the sun is not shining on you anymore and it gets dark i had not everyone's like oh it gets real dark i'm like yeah all right it gets dim obviously and even in the the moments leading up to it it's like yeah you know it's kind of dim that's that's impressive it kind of feels like i have sunglasses on and then it goes twilighty and you're like uh what (laughs) it's actually dark out this this is impressive and then this cacophonous panic starts around you and you're just like huh i see why ancient people would freak out about this this is weird see, okay see, i thought when you said that it got twilight i was like do you mean like Kristen stewart showed up because that would probably explain all the dogs and there is a book in that series named eclipse oh. so <laughs> yeah but i was also thinking like the entire time you, you're describing this all i can think of is unknown armies <laughs> You know, I'm I'm thinking less unknown armies and more Call of Cthulhu. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've just got unknown armies on the brain because we're actually going to be starting up a parallel unknown armies gaming group fairly soon. So. uh, Oh, I'm excited. You got to tell me how that goes. Yeah. The main plot is going to have to deal with Route 66. 
and oh, uh, nice. and oh, travel cool. and, and liminal spaces and stuff. So it's going to be good. That's cool. All right. Uh, we don't want to waste too much of Jack's time because I know he's got a lot to do. Although talking about unknown armies and eclipses is never a waste of time. In fairness. <laughs> yeah. By, by the way, Jenny, um, if you haven't played it already, Kentucky Route Zero might be a good game to play to get yourself in the I mood for already that. have and I cried. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> Moving on. Good to know. <laughs> um, I do have one quick thing that I want to plug, and then, Jack, I want to give you a chance to plug something as well. So I spend a fair bit of time on Reddit, not deep in the weeds there, but I spend some time there. And uh, the Christianity subreddit is pretty cool, pretty active. I happened to see just in passing that somebody had posted there that they were starting up a Christian D&D subreddit. Uh, I will link this in the show notes. It's very small right now, but of course it's looking to grow as with any new community, but this is basically a forum for Christian gamers looking to play D&D online. So if you're interested in that, if you're looking for a group, uh, this is a great place to go for people who you know at least share that much with you. Mm -hmm. So there you go. And of course, you know, we're happy to support anything like that, and we're going to try and help them grow and plug them and that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. Check it out. It looks really cool. It looks like a good group of people so far. Jack. Yes, sir. We always try and give guests a chance to plug something here, and you've got a lot of cool stuff going on. Can you narrow it down uh, to one thing? I, I Actually, <laughs> I am afraid that I can. Ha <laughs> ha, see what I did there? Yeah, I would definitely like to uh, throw a shout out uh, for those who are not aware, and I know that we talked about this uh, last time that I was on, is every year the Bodana Group hosts its annual flagship fundraiser. It is a uh, three-day convention called Save Against Fear. And Save Against Fear uh, is in year seven this year, which I can hardly believe myself, you know, my own little child, so to speak. It's basically a, th a three-day game convention. We are going to have role-playing games there. We're going to have board games. And that's anything from tournaments to free play, play-to-win games. Uh, we're actually having a ton of designers. We're hoping to actually get a group of students from one of the local universities that has a board game and game design program to come out and kind of play test their stuff. Ooh. We're going to have some life-size games. We're going to have a life-size Soro, uh, a large-size King of Tokyo. So there's going to be a lot of wonderful new fun. And we actually have a couple of different editions this year for anyone who's uh, not attended Save in the past. Uh, this year we are adding cosplay to the mix. But we, of course, have to put our own little Bodana spin on it in that our very good friend Amanda Robinson, who is actually authoring a book about therapeutic aspects of cosplay, she hmm. uh, is uh, definitely helping us out. We're going to have uh, some panel discussions about therapeutic benefits. We're going to have someone uh, cosplay for charity as well as how to, like, you know, cosplay on a budget and how to, you know, get the whole family in on it pick a theme and run with it so everybody kind of, you know, doing similar of a thing. So that's one addition that we've made this year. And kind of coming along with that, we also, for those of you who may not be in the know, we have our first ever uh, celebrity guest for Save Against Fear. We uh, are wonderful to announce and, and have on with us this year our actor Martin Kleva, who most folks might know as Marty from the Pirates of the Caribbean series. He also played uh, Randall the Janitor on Scrubs, one of my favorite roles of his, uh, and he was <laughs> Rolo in The Cape. So uh, he's a wonderful actor, great guy that we met over at uh, Sci-Fi Valley Con in Altoona. So 
we are uh, definitely pulling all the stops. We're going to be at the Harrisburg Mall. It's a weekend of October 13th through the 15th, and the price is only $30 for the entire weekend, which gets you raffle tickets. It gets you pretty much access to all of the, you know, glorious fare that we're going to have there for the weekend. An important thing to know is all proceeds go directly to our mission and our projects. It's an entirely volunteer-run convention, uh, so no one takes a salary or anything like that. And I, of course, will be running some of my requisite sessions. I know Ghostbusters, the RPG, is one that everyone has me run every year, the old West End Ghostbusters. (laughs) You can just go to our website www.thebodonagroup.org or uh, com. just to clear up one thing that's been kind of confusion for folks. I hope my plug ain't too long here. You get the tickets through Eventzilla, but you sign up on Sketch to schedule yourself for your sessions. So that's one thing that a couple of folks have had some questions. We moved from Warhorn to a different program this year to try and make it a little bit easier for folks to kind of get in contact with the gaming that they love. But uh, yeah, it's a wonderful time. Harrisburg Mall on Paxton Street in Harrisburg. And uh, it's for that entire weekend. And we have uh, about 101,000 square feet to play around with. So there will be Warhammer. There will be, you know, just so, so many things. Please go to the website to check it out. Support us, support the cause, and come out and make a bunch of new friends. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I mm-hmm. I have been wanting to go for years now, and uh, I'm going to make it up there one day. I oh, promise, we will Jack. we will have saving the game. Yeah, I I envision you guys live broadcasting from Save Against Fear some year. Uh, it's actually looking like I may be able to make it. Maybe we'll see how schedules work out because there's one particular thing that I'm waiting for confirmation on, and if that gets confirmed, it will actually make it very difficult for me to make it. But well. I- I am I am hoping. Yeah, if it's something that you that you want to happen in life, good luck for that. And if it does not, you know? Yeah, I'm doing the math. It's actually I am the closest geographically, I believe, to Harrisburg. Despite the fact that <laughs> yeah. you're in another country. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, who cares about that pesky border in the yeah. way? <laughs> I mean, it hasn't stopped me from going to conventions before. We we all it know sure that. It sure hasn't. So. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, I mean, it sounds amazing and if you get a chance to go any listener who's who's able to catch this episode, mm-hmm. if you're in that area or can reasonably reach that area in the appropriate amount of time, you should go. It sounds amazing. And mm-hmm. again, supports the Banana Group. Love it. What's not to yeah. like? All right, let's move on here. We've got a Patreon question to ask ourselves. Jack, the way we do this now is uh, I roll a die, and we look at a list of questions that we've got from listeners. Anybody who wants to add their name to this list just needs to support us on Patreon and then send us uh, one or more questions. We'll add them to our question queue, and there's a chance your question will come up. So let's roll this die here. Ah, okay, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, This is actually another one. (laughs) This is the joy of randomness. Last time we had a question from Francisco at Retro Rewind Podcast. (laughs) Guess what? Francisco, your next question's up. Wait a minute. (laughs) And this is a great one, I think, for everybody. So here's Francisco's question. What 80s or 90s cartoons would you love to see an RPG (gasps) themed around? Oh, I've got two answers. Reboot, first of all. I really, really want a reboot RPG. And second of all, you guys are guaranteed not to know what I'm talking about when I say the world of Toad Patrol. 
or or just I think it's just Toad Patrol and you're, the, you're correct. I, the de- yeah, I know there's this Canadian <laughs> thing where there's a certain amount of locally produced content that has to make it onto the airwaves. Okay, like, there's so a name for that. Toad Patrol was. Grant, your daughter would be growing out of it at this point. However, okay. it has one of the richest backgrounds for any very young child's show I have ever seen in my whole life. Like, it was only ever on at, like, noon during the school days, so I could only ever watch it when I was sick. But I recently got a DVD of it, and it's just so... Oh, it's cheesy, and it's really hard to get through individual episodes, but it's it's got toads and magic and snakes, and, and, and that's not a good pitch for it at all. But basically, um, yeah, let's see around the like. Oh my god, like the board table. You go. That's it, Frank. Like that. Yeah. That. That's all you got. Just toad. Okay. Hey, somebody had to pitch Sharknado. Okay. Yeah, it's basically Redwall, but with toads and for very young children, and I love it. And according to the the Wikipedia page I'm looking at now, there's some dark undertones that make it surprisingly appropriate for gaming. So yeah, there are. Um, and reboot is reboot, and basically, for those who don't know what reboot is, uh, it's a computer but anthropomorphized. Yeah, basically, it's a it's what the mid '90s thought the inside of computer animated through terrible CGI. It was like. good for its day. It was really good for its day. And if I recall correctly, it was one of the very earliest completely yeah. CGI shows and also yeah, Canadian made. So boom. International yes. mic drop. <laughs> okay, so I'm up. I'm going to take the next one here. Batman the Animated Series. And if you want to hear why, go listen to the roughly 37 years of content I recorded with the gameable folks when we talked about it. <laughs> Grant or Jack, on to you. Okay, fair. Uh... Actually, why don't you go ahead, because the, the one that I'm going to say, actually, I believe that my childhood has already been gamified, so it, it's going to kind of be a plug, sort of, but okay. not quite. So I have, I think, two answers here. The first is ExoSquad. I'm not familiar with that one. Okay, so it's, um, this is going to be kind of a, a little bit of an interesting reach here, but bear with me. The Gundam series, and Gundam Wing in particular, is in many ways a Japanese anime metaphor for the Pacific campaign in World War II. Hmm. Exo Squad is an American-made sci-fi allegory for the European campaign in hmm. World War II, mostly told from what you would probably say is the British perspective. It is a surprisingly dark story of a genocidal warlord of a species that humanity created basically as a slave race, bigger, stronger, smarter than humans, but under their control. And then, oh, look, they revolted. (laughs) Who saw that coming? (laughs) In that classic, you know, like 70s, 80s sci-fi sort of concern that there was a previous war. Tell me when this starts sounding familiar. And then a uh, genocidal madman who's a charismatic leader who secretly builds up an army and springs a surprise attack on all the human worlds and conquers them quickly, leaving only a small outpost of resistance held back by fighter pilots. Yep, that sounds pretty familiar. (laughs) uh, Committing genocide on all the humans by collecting them on barges and hurling them into the sun. Oh, you don't say. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. It was kind of a measure of how much melodrama you could pack into 22 minutes per episode. (laughs) But it was very toyetic, which is always fun, right? Big, unique character designs, room to make your own characters, grim, gritty, very wild uh, sort of stuff. 
fascinating sci-fi. I've been kind of working on a system for it in the back of my head for a while, and I haven't really come up with anything appropriate, but man, it, it would be an amazing show to turn into a game. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, talk, it was probably just about the most anime series American made at the time. I would say that if if I had to take a beloved child, it probably it would probably be Star Blazers. And and again, for those not kind of familiar with this, it's it's the tale of the SS Yamato, which was a, I guess, kind of recommissioned. You could say uh, the whole idea was that we were getting bombarded by these aliens from the uh, can't remember what their planet was, but it, it basically we got irradiated as a planet. So we then got news from a planet called Iskandar, and we had to go travel to Iskandar to get the cosmic DNA which would enable us to save the Earth from radiation poisoning against the bombardment from our enemies from space. So it was this episodic show. And I mean, as, as a kid, it kind of rocked me to a reality core because in, one of, in the first episode, like you meet this guy and he's awesome and you think, oh, I'm going to follow this dude to the ends of this series. And he dies like <laughs> within five, ten minutes. And, you, and I'm sitting there as a ten-year-old kid you know, like crying in my Frankenberry because I'm like, you know, what are you doing to me? Characters don't die in cartoons. But yeah, this happened. I mean, it was, it was, you know, standard 70s kind of stuff for animation as far as, you know, the early anime stuff. But I mean, it was deep, serious sci-fi storylines. And I just think it would make a heck of a property if it already hasn't been made over in Japan. So I mean, as far as series wise, that's probably one of my, did, it, did any of you... Watch that, or am I once again oldest man in the room? I've heard of it, but I, I admit I haven't watched it. Then again, my my cartoon watching was shockingly limited as a child. So mm. I'm sorry. Yeah, and mine was actually aggressively limited by my parents. So and mine was just weird, apparently. So well, Canada. <laughs> I looked it up by the way. Toad Patrol is a Canada specific okay. property. So yeah, although I believe it's either Toad Patrol or another obscure Canadian thing that is still airing in Spain for some really? reason. Yeah, oh, that's you, great. You've got to find yeah. some videos for that. That's got to be a wonderful twist of some of your beloved childhood right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, Grant, I looked up this Exo Squad stuff as you were talking. This is the 90th thing that was ever from the 90s. <laughs> oh, it's is, so nice. Is it 90er than Pearl Jam? Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it, so too. Much. This is amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's like every 90s comic book, like that weird mask with the open <laughs> face and the like the hair coming out the top. <laughs> that's in here like it's the same art as like the x-men oh, yeah. cartoon yeah in many ways yeah. imagine that but in space with little tiny mechs mm -hmm. i mean come on it's great well, no it looks really cool i may have to dig into this later i'm actually seeing the uh, exoskeleton from uh alien 2 here or aliens yeah, whatever. they're actually a so. little bit more like an exoskeleton style thing, like you said, rather than like a full on Battletech mech. Yeah, that was one of the things that was interesting to me because it was relatively small mechs. Yeah, these look like they would stand about 10 feet tall or so. Yeah, the, yeah, the figures were awesome. And let me tell you, I, I am not kidding about the melodrama. At one point, just to add melodrama, they have the mech suddenly reveal that they have developed human level intelligence by <laughs> being plugged into humans all the time through their brains. <laughs> and it is never mentioned again because it was only necessary to pack in a little extra <laughs> melodrama in what would otherwise have been a down moment. That's, that's Neon Genesis wow. Evangelion. It's but about that level of wow. silly. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Wow. It was great. I've got to find some episodes of this. I'll, I'll share them with you later. Oh, okay. boy. <laughs> to do a, a real quick mention oh, to kind wow. of send back to uh, Francisco, if he is uh, looking for something to kind of help with this whole emulation process, I don't know if you're familiar, there's a system from Spectrum Games that's called Cartoon Action Hour. Season 3 is the current iteration. It's a phenomenal emulation kind of system. Like, it really, really lives true to the era and the properties. And there's this whole section in the front of the book about classic 80s and 70s and 90s cartoons, and Exosquad is one of them. And it's just this whole thing where you create your favorite Saturday morning cartoon fair. So that might be a great system for, for him to check out, just to, for anybody who wants to really kind of emulate that kind of thing. Even from Care Bears to Thundercats, it's 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 absolutely awesome. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And yeah, we definitely should at this point plug the Gameable Saturday Morning Podcast, Good yes. Friends of Ours. Yes. Peter's been on to talk about Batman Animated Series. Like I'm I sure said, of, for roughly 37 years. It was <laughs> quite a series of episodes and it was all good, so. All joking aside, I think before that got edited down, it was something like four and a half to five hours total. Oh my goodness gracious. We talked and talked and talked and talked. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Not that I am complaining, you understand, about more Peter and more <laughs> gameable. I feel like the whole thing was substantive, but we, oh my goodness, did we go on for a long time. It was a lot of fun, which was probably part of why it went on so long. But. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, Francisco, thank you. Awesome question. Obviously, we got a lot out of that. Jack, thanks for playing along with Definitely. us. That's always mm-hmm. fun. And again, if anybody wants to get their question in, if you're already a Patreon subscriber, just email it to us or send it to us, however, through any other method. And if you're not, patreon.com slash saving the game to support the show. Our show is 100% listener funded because of folks like you. We appreciate it. All right, we've got some scripture to read that's relevant to the topic that we brought Jack on to talk about that isn't 90s and 80s cartoons. Aww. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> I know. I'm out of here. No, <laughs> we could do a whole show about that, obviously, oh, yeah. but we've got slightly more serious stuff to talk about. Who wants to start us off with Psalms? I'll take this one, I guess. Okay. Uh, this is Psalm 16, 7 through 10. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you do not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Psalm 91, verses 2 through 6. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. And we have chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, verses 2 to 11. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. 
Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now, and leave your life of sin. And I'll uh, finish here with, uh, in the Epistle to the Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So Jack, we brought you on to talk about therapeutic gaming and what the Bodana Group in particular does, but it occurred to us, and mostly to Peter, last time we had you on, we never really asked you about you. Oh, little me? Yeah, <laughs> funny that. So I guess the first thing we should ask you is, who is Jack Birkenstock? How did you get started in therapy? How did you get started with gaming? And, and what made you realize that those were complementary things that you could bring together? Who is Jack Birkenstock? What a, what a wonderfully <laughs> sumptuous question. I believe that the French philosopher... <clears throat> sorry, I, I wish I had my James Lipton beard. Um, <clears throat> sorry. The listener couldn't see it anyway. So. <laughs> uh, no, ser uh, seriously, uh, I, I, I don't know. That's um, As far as my... Uh, for, for who I am... Um, I always kind of give a rather cryptic answer that who I am kind of depends on on where I'm at at that moment and and who I need to be. Uh, for me, the whole concept of I and who I am is very fluid. They're very, uh, I don't believe in the self, so to speak. So there's my little Buddhist drop. But I, I like to be fluid. I like to be kind of adjustable to the moment. Uh, and I think that kind of goes into my gaming. So I will bring it back into everything here. <laughs> uh, my gaming hobby, oh man, that started when I was about 12 years old. My neighbor across the street, his name was John. Uh, John was sitting on his porch with a bunch of three ring binders, fiddling with a bunch of uh, good old fashioned graph paper maps that he had uh, made, obviously, that we all know for D&D &D at the time. And me being the inquisitive lad that I was, I was kind of like, wait, what's this? What do you got going on over here? And he was like, oh, D&D. &D. And I was like, who and what now? Uh, <laughs> so he was like, Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, well, what's that, mister? You know, so, you know, then the clouds parted, sun shone down upon me. And uh, in that moment, uh, no, he uh, went inside and got a copy of uh, one of the original copies of Dungeon. Uh, from TSR, and uh, I played my first game of that, and, and at that point, I mean, it was more board game, obviously, but D&D kind of hooked me as a franchise at that point, and actually that year, my mom was like, well, we get the income tax this year, so you can get whatever it is that you want, and I said, give me that red box over there, <laughs> uh, because that looks pretty cool, my mom was like, what? You know, because she, she wasn't really into a lot of, the, like, the hype, she kind of didn't really know what D&D &D was at mm -hmm. the time. So I did what I guess everybody else did was I just kind of played my own little version of it where I didn't really know what the rules were. Uh, some would argue I still don't really <laughs> follow, follow all of them now, but they're, they're guidelines, not so much rules. Um, yeah, but that, but that kind of, that kind of started my early entrance into it. I got to say the gaming was probably the most serious for me when I get introduced, uh, to, the Ghostbusters RPG, because I've seen the Ghostbusters movie over 375 times. Wow. Is, uh, yeah, sad geek story, if I can have to, <laughs> a couple seconds for it. I, of course. I went, I went to LaSalle University uh, for education, and me and my buddy Jerry Buchane, 
uh, actually sat in the Union Food Court at LaSalle University's campus, and line per line, back and forth, he and I recited the entire movie, including stage direction and everything. So, you know, people kind of look at me with that, oh, you sad, sad nerd, kind of <laughs> look, you know, when I tell this story. But, but then I say, okay, nerd alert quiz. What is sadder? The fact that Jerry and I were able to do this or that we had an audience of 23 people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say none of that is sad, but I, yeah. that's because I, was just like, I love um, that. I, I am not pitying you. Like, my jaw is on the floor in awe. <laughs> like 300 plus times. Okay. 300 plus times. I it, just did the math. You've spent 39 days of your life doing nothing but watch <laughs> Ghostbusters. I'll take it. That's, uh, <laughs> so, no, I mean, so my buddy and I in, in high school, his name is Lex, uh, we started playing the Ghostbusters RPG. And, you know, I really started, like, at that point, it got more into character. Mm -hmm. This will kind of tie back in when I talk about therapy and then how these two worlds kind of collided very gently. You know, we started to play and I started to develop the whole character thing. And at the time, again, looking back with the therapist mindset now, you know, it was all silly wish fulfillment stuff. You know, like in the, in the game, the uh, the character who, in case this person is listening, I won't mention her real name on the air. But, you know, the character's wife in the game, like it was this girl's name. And, you know, my character was like a captain of industry who just happened to be a Ghostbuster at the same time. <laughs> then I love the character so much that we started to learn new systems. So I literally took this character, Jonathan Tiberius Airedale III, yes, named after James T. Kirk. <laughs> uh, I took took him from being a Ghostbuster to being a boomerang-wielding superhero in Marble, the old phase-rip system from TSR. Then I took him from that system to Shadowrun, and he became a futuristic captain of industry. And then when I started playing Cthulhu... I actually made John's ancestor back in the 1920s. So John and Thomas and all the other Airedales, they are still a staple in every one of my games that I play. So that's like the one one thing that's kind of looped me all through. I mean, like I said, I've been gaming for like 33 years at this point. So I mean, how and when, that that's pretty much the short story there. Okay, two things that are going to sound contradictory. One, that's awesome that you were able to maintain that kind of continuity. And two, I will never feel bad about my limited dramatic range in games again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am glad that I could provide this solace, sir. That, that's, uh... No, I mean, to, to branch into the next question, I mean, as far as how did I get started in therapy, honestly, that was kind of kind of accidental as well. I, I mean, obviously I, I have people skills, you know, I can talk to folks and I, you know, get along with people pretty easily. Uh, my dad was actually a sociology major and he was kind of the art of the deal, you know, not that art of the deal, but uh, <laughs> he was pretty good with people as well. Uh, so I kind of picked up a lot of my people skills and, you know, he used to counsel all his friends. So I kind of picked it up from that, so to speak. And then I worked in a bunch of human services, like, food service and retail, you know, that whole getting to learn your skills kind of a deal. And actually, the, the whole idea of therapy came quite accidentally. I had worked in the school district when I thought I wanted to be a teacher, but then I realized I didn't want to be a teacher, but I was working in an emotional support classroom. And I found that while teaching multiplication tables and, and historical fact and stuff like that was very, very like... <clears throat> 
you know, putting me to sleep kind of deal. Uh, I was like, man, I really like that kid who's flipping out in the corner. I want to work with him. And I found that I could talk kids down from crisis relatively easily. And I just had this way of explaining what was going on. And I, I guess I kind of had a personality of being very calming. So I kind of found out that, you know, I was very good with people who were having behavioral issues. So fast forward after a stint of five years at retail, Best Buy, I eventually went, well, I, I want to do something that means something. So I went and applied at the juvenile treatment facility and I went there and I was like, yeah, I want to work the mental health floor. And I went, well, all we have is the sexually problematic behaviors unit. And I went, <laughs> I, uh, well, I don't, you see... And Steve, who I thank very much retrospectively, you know, pretty much said, well, you want a job? I guess you'll work that floor then. <laughs> and I went, yeah, I guess I guess I want a job then. So, okay. You know, and then through that, I kind of found that whether it was early Buddhist onset or I don't know, I, I just kind of found myself able to see that, you know, e even though people may do bad things, and this, this is kind of why, you know, out of the whole selection, I actually choose the Galatians quote. Because I, I found myself being able to see through the issue to kind of realize that that person, they were suffering as well in a lot of cases. So I got kind of drawn to, you know, not overlooking what a person had done, but helping them not to allow that to define them in totality. So that that person, they could have a chance at a different life and a different identity and a successful one, mm -hmm. as opposed to being that guy who did that thing. You know, and that's all that they would be forever known. And if that's all that you're known, then that's all that you'll be. So, you know, it's that kind of brotherhood, you know, welcoming the person that has been on the wayward road, you know, to kind of let them know that, you know, you can walk this path next to me. It's okay. You know, you're my neighbor, my brother. So that's kind of what got me into therapy. I transitioned from being a direct care worker to being a team leader to being, you know, eventually getting my master's degree in human services. And then, the whole how did the two become complementary? I, I know I think I told the version of this story on the on the episode twenty five where we were talking, you know, about how how this whole path came about, and it was actually courtesy of of Rich Thomas from Onyx Path Publishing, and Rich will deny this to every time that I tell it, but <laughs> uh, we. We had started Bodana after the facility we worked in shut down because they were closing all facilities down at that time because, you know, kids in the community are what we want. We don't want everybody in, in facilities. So we're a nonprofit. We wanted to do trainings for people to work with sexually problematic behaviors, but budgets were cut and they didn't a lot of time. So we said, we need money. We're, <laughs> we're a nonprofit. We need, we need, we need <laughs> shekels right now. So what do we know how to do? And like one or two of us golf, but that's not enough for a tournament. No, none of us competitively drove motocross. So we were kind of figuring, you know, what ways can we make money? And we went, well, we're gamers. Why don't we start a game convention? And at that time, bear in mind, we had never been to a game convention. So <laughs> we, we actually ran three Save Against Fears without ever having attended a con on our own. Oh. So, you know. <laughs> Polish that apple, right? But we, we went to talk to, uh, I went to talk to Rich about donating to Save Against Fear because he actually lives in the local area to us. So, you know, Rich started sharing with me about how he had been receiving letters. And for those of you who don't know Rich Thomas, he, uh, not only is he the head of Onyx Path Publishing, which, uh, has done a lot of the uh, reissues of the World of Darkness series and also most recently Pugmire, which is just phenomenal. 
So good. Oh, it's, oh, it's so great. <laughs> Be a good dog. He was uh, formerly, previously, the creative director for White Wolf. So that's kind of his connection to all those properties. So he had shared about people sending letters over the years about how role-playing in the world of darkness helped them with trauma and abuse. And, you know, at, at that point, a second time the clouds opened and the light kind of poured into to me at that moment. And I was like, wow. And then I kind of just start going back through my mind. And this was kind of that gentle collision I talked about earlier where I started to go, huh, wish fulfillment. <laughs> a lot of stuff was going on in my life at that point. wonder if that was my way of escaping. You know, I mean, it sounds kind of like, of course it is, you know, but, you know, that kind of started the road of, of me going, well, now that I'm a master's level therapist with some clinical experience under my belt, let me re-examine this hobby that, you know, I still engaged in at that time, but let me look at this from a different perspective. And I started to, not only myself, but, you know, the other members of Bodana, which are pretty much like Bodana is gaming at this point. You know, everybody in Bodana, except maybe one or two people, are avid gamers, whether it's board or RPG. So we all started sharing our stories together, and then we started talking to our friends, and we're, we're kind of compiling anecdotal research at that point about where we felt gaming fit into the tapestry of our lives, you know, what threads were kind of woven into who we are and who we became. And we kind of then started to, I guess, formalize a little bit more of like the process of what that might look like. And we've been kind of, we've been kind of doing that over the years, really kind of tightening the focus and the filter onto exactly, you know, how we're good at what we do. Cause there's, you know, we use board games, we use role-playing games. We use them for a variety of different scenarios and situations that people might be dealing with. So that's kind of how the two came together. It was really courtesy of Rich and then, you know, just kind of a whole bunch of retrospection is really where a lot of this kind of came to where it is now. And I mean, I can't say enough, again, courtesy of like, you know, you, you guys were our first podcast appearance. That helped get word out to people. That's how we met Baron. That's how we met Doug. That's how we met Mike Perna. Like there's so many, it, it really, if I'd have to say where Bodana has gotten, it's been the connections that we've made and this community that we've been lucky to be a part of. And now even luckier to, we feel, to help be a driving force, you know, along with partners that I know have been on and around, you know, Hawk Robinson, uh, Wheelhouse Workshop, Sarah Lynn Bowman, you know, I mean, all these, all these different kind of names and, and people who are doing wonderful work, but they're also wonderfully companionate. You know, we, we don't compete, we share these ideas, and that's kind of gotten it propelled to where it is now. Great. Yeah. Wow, I took yeah. a, that took a lot of minutes. Wow. <laughs> That's fine. I am more than happy to listen to, you know, how yeah. this whole thing grew up and, and how oh, yeah. you've kind of made those connections because it's fascinating to listen to. Well, and I, I think it is worth noting that that is probably one of the best things about being part of this group is that none of us that are kind of in this, hey, let's use gaming for more than just entertainment, but let's see if we can do some kind of good with it. Everybody wants to talk to each other, compare notes. I mean... That's where things like the game to grow thing that you started grew out of. And that's why we've had, what, are we up to about 12 guest hosts in a row or something like that? It's that's been so like long that. since we had a, an episode without <laughs> one. It's just, yeah. we've had Sarah Lynn Bowman, we've had the Adams on, we had, you know, it's just, it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a very cool thing to be part of this whole, like, let's take gaming and do something with it. 
Right. I, th- I think the idea is, is that, you know, the more people that we get to meet, and, and I'm sure you, that you all have had this as well, you know, the more people you meet, the more games you hear about, and the more games that you hear, the more slices to that person's life, you know, the more connections that you can go, wow, that would be pretty cool. Maybe I can kind of borrow that. Or maybe that would help somebody that I know, you know, even if it's just for funsies to, you know, like pick a bro up after a week, you know, that's been kind of rough. So you pretend, you know, to be somebody other than yourself for four hours on a Friday, you know? Yeah. And it's as simple as that, but as complicated as, you know, like I, I love the series that you guys do on values and, you know, morals, but, you know, at the same time, you're not coming down on somebody. You're, you're lifting people up by giving, you know, putting, putting bullets in the bandolier. You know what I mean? Well, we certainly try. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Um, do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to follow up Yoda, just saying that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. is. All right, so tell us a little bit more specifically, now that you've given us an introduction, what the Bodana Group is working on these days. What projects are you guys in? I, you know, we've talked a bit about Save Against Fear. What else are you working on? Oh wow. Um well, we have actually quite a quite a bunch of our programs. I don't know how many I was kind of mentioning because it, it so much has been moving especially I'd say in the last 4 months. Things have been moving just uh not 4 months. Oh my gosh, since April. Yeah, it's about 4 months. Hi, I'm a calendar. Um <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I would say that probably some of our most principal has been a lot of the a lot of the work that we've grown into doing with a lot of our uh, area partners. We, we've been working since April with an organization in York, PA called Olivia's House, which is uh, a uh, center specializing in grief and loss for children and families. Mm. So uh, one of our kind of happiest, and you know, there's a lot of posts about this on our Facebook, we've been doing a lot of sessions centered around grief and loss with one of our new partners, Dave Cott, who is uh, kind of a legend in his own right. He's the uh, writer and creator of Face Value Comics. It's a comic book that has the first comic book hero with autism. Dave himself, you know, is no shy to tell you he himself is a, is a an adult who is on the spectrum. Uh, so he kind of brings a lot of that, not only his personal experience, but education onto that. So he's been very instrumental in kind of introducing us to, to the York area, which is what prompted our move. Just finished up our second group. And I mean, some of the stuff that we've done in that group, I, I have to say, has been quite deep. Uh, the last group that we finished up, a lot of the participants had grief and loss issues related to substance abuse. So we followed a storyline that actually it was set in uh, Blades in the Dark, uh, powered by the Apocalypse Engine setting. So we uh, manufactured a, an illicit street drug called Glitter Stim. And we kind of had the players, you know, who were roughly between the 12 and 16, somewhere around there. We had them kind of following around the city trying to track down, you know, who made this drug and where did it come from and what did it do to people and had them, of course, because of, you know, <laughs> Blades in the Dark. It was all with like the, you know, the aristocracy and all the and all the royals and stuff. But one of my favorite moments of that whole series was during the story, they became in possession of the recipe for Glitter Stim. So we kind of sat back and, and Dave was like, so you guys can shut down Glitter Stim. You can get it off the streets forever. Bear in mind, though, a lot of people use kind of an alteration of that recipe for medicinal. You know, it helps people with their pain. So you could be depriving these people of medicine. And what then erupted was, and I'm not exaggerating, a 20-minute discussion 
between, you know, five young kids that was like a Senate floor chat about legalization and drug control and how to do, you know, what to do about this. And we then kind of after that, you know, Dave in the session kind of was like, okay, so what would the person that you lost think about the decision your character made? Because they were like, well, we're going to alter the recipe, but you know, so that way people can't really use the drug, but, you know, we'll kind of mix it up a little bit so it's not exactly the drug. And it wound up killing one of the royals because she needed it for her own illness. So, you know, then we had this very deep moment of like, what about how your choice led to someone passing away? Like, how do you feel about that? And it was this very deep, rich story that, you know, we were just kind of sitting there and like, it was this really palatable silence around the table and everybody's like, wow, you know, like just, just you know, I don't want to share directly of any of the stuff that they said mm-hmm. that way. But I mean, just all of this deep resonant information about, you know, folks who had connection to their lost ones or, you know, some of the kids who, who never got the chance to know them. So they were kind of going through that grief and loss. And it was definitely a much more serious adventure than than the first one that we ran using No Thank You Evil. And that one was, you know, again, primary parent loss. We had them following the grand adventure of Storia. And the adventure was like an analogy of, you know, dad. Dad fixes everything. Dad, dad is always there to go to when you need help with something. So we kind of had them follow the analogy of this cali- uh, character around and... You know, then they eventually he had to go to his next journey. So he had been traveling through the entire land, fixing as much as he could before he had to go. So it wasn't quite as much hit you over the head, quote unquote, therapy. But, you know, we had a lot of very, very good, deep emotional moments from that as well. When, you know, me role playing the inventor, saying his goodbyes to everybody and like, you know, Kids ain't going to necessarily cry in front of their same age peers, but, yeah. you know, we had a lot of cups that had the rims chewed straight off because, you know, it was just that very deep moment. But, you know, after that, it like the parents and, and the kids and everybody from Olivia's house, I mean, they've been phenomenally supportive in this whole endeavor. And uh, it's it's just been kind of incredible spreading the wings a little bit, uh, uh, again, uh, away from an area that I'm kind of typically relegated to. But that probably has been one of the biggest things is just how much that work has expanded. We also have our open enrollment groups that we're running in Lancaster. Uh, they're run every Saturday, and we're actually going to be using Pugmire for that game. So shout out shout out to Eddie and Rich. But uh, yeah, that that's probably been one of the biggest developments I would have to say in the last couple months, we are still hard at work. Peter, please don't reach through the internet and hit me uh, <laughs> on on the uh, on the therapeutic gaming book. Baron and I actually, after the first draft was, uh, I guess you'd say 1.5 was completed, we kind of went back and we were like, something's missing. Uh, and then courtesy of a lot of help from Doug, who's offering to uh, help edit for us and copy read, we are actually adding more relevant like case study examples, I guess, that are going to follow persons through the book. And they're going to kind of be based on a lot of the different experience that we've been working in and around. So we kind of felt that adding a little bit more time to the project uh, is definitely going to make it a lot more meaningful and a lot more takeaways than what we had originally intended. So it's going to be a bit meatier yet at the same hand not be completely overhanded. Hey, for the record, take all the time you need. I'm just excited to see the final version <laughs> whenever it's done. Well, you yeah. you guys will definitely be in the forward. That is absolutely without no, a doubt. Well, thank you. 
Appreciate oh. that. And uh, a quick shout out to Doug, by the way. This is uh, Doug Hegler, who's a listener to the show, supporter of ours, good friend of the show. We love him. He's great. Yeah. Oh, Doug, Doug actually, Doug and Mike, that's actually some other kind of developments. They are part of our board of directors. Yeah. Yeah. How are we not giving Mike Partner a shout out here, though? I mean, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Good grief. What are we doing? Mike, <sighs> love you too, buddy. We need to have him back on too. Wait. We have him every 33 episodes. He's already scheduled. Never mind. Yeah, he's on. It's, it's, it's fine. We got it covered. Don't worry about it. Yep. <laughs> Spinning with Mike Perna, 33 and a third. Sweet. Uh, Jack, there's a, a question that I wanted to ask you because we asked this of the guys from Wheelhouse Workshop, who we just had on last episode, and it was a really enlightening answer that we got from them. What is the difference like start to finish, what does a therapeutic session that the Bodana group runs look like? And how is it different from a home game of maybe even the same system that you're playing for fun? Well, I, I would say start to finish. I mean, one of the things that I know that I actually do a training on uh, or a presentation that is going to be at uh, Save Against Fear this year is about a lot of the parallels between traditional therapy and role playing. So, I mean, a lot in the actual game itself kind of kind of mirrors what would go on in a traditional session. That's one of the things that we've always believed is that, you know, this shouldn't necessarily be the type of scenario where every five minutes you're asking the person how they feel, like temperature gauging for emotion. It, it should be something where the narrative should be the thing that is doing the work and driving the process. So the way that we normally orchestrate is, is we have like an intake session and it takes different forms. Sometimes we do intake separately if it depends on, on time. Uh, and normally that's just so us to kind of explain through the whole process and, you know, kind of state how it works and, and what we're generally trying to do and that it's not going to be this heavy handed, ham fisted therapy, so to speak. And then our first session that we usually do is, is always character creation system intro. And this way we get them to kind of play off of each other and, you know, we'll make an NPC character along with them. That way they kind of go through that character process, again, much like a lot of different parties do, where you make your characters together. But, you know, what we've kind of done beforehand is in that intake, we kind of say, you know, well, some of the things are, you know, there's stuff that folks want to focus on because that's why you are coming to, you know, TTRPG is, is what we call our brand, Therapeutic Tabletop Role-Playing Groups. So we often say, like, you know, from, from stem to stern, as much of yourself as you want to put in your character, or as much as maybe a person you want to be that you want to put in your character, or as much as maybe a person that you don't want to be. So maybe you want to explore, quote-unquote, that shadow passenger, you know, that they sometimes talk about, that kind of darker part of yourself, you know, the, oh my gosh, everybody who's ever played a chaotic evil character for funsies, you know, like <laughs> that kind of deal. Because exploring the things you don't want to be still helps you define what you want to be. So, and again, we collaborate a lot with the Adams, so I might be covering the similar ground, but we usually talk that it could be character aspects, backstory, conflicts, or story arc. Those are four of kind of your main, like what we do is it's kind of like one of those insane persons in a conspiracy movie who has like all the red yarn kind of strung up, you know, from like this picture to this postcard to this like newspaper article. So it might be, well, I want to work on emotional recognition and management. You know, I have trouble dealing with anger. Okay, so let's maybe put a little bit of an anger management thing or like a, a heavy foe that, that kind of like ticks you off. Let's put that in your backstory. And then maybe for your character, maybe you have like a rage power. So in terms of conflict, well, maybe I might 
throw a little bit harder opposition to intentionally maybe deal with some frustration at the table through, you know, these kind of insurmountable odds. Or maybe the story arc itself is all about, you know, your characters being maybe uh, oppressed by a, a vindictive financial warlord who, you know, wants to hold the money for all the land so he throws you and your family and friends into turmoil and, and despotism, you know. Okay, uh, so there's four different ways that we can explore one of those core issues. So we kind of pin what the person wants to work on in as many different areas. So this way, we just let the story flow. So we don't have to do as much interjection throughout the process to kind of interrupt everyone and go, you okay? You all right? You okay? Well, your character just got no fight. How's that working for you? You know, it's like, you know, throwing all these kind of different things in very heavy-handed. So that's one of the things that I, that I know is kind of central to the way we do it is we never want to forget the fun. Because without the fun of the game, it's kind of pointless to work on anything relevant. Because that fun is what's going to drive you to want your character to explore more, or to want to dive into this situation more. So really that, that fun and that pace kind of also takes into, into account that we want to respect the player. We want to respect the person. To, you know, so there's also what are some areas that maybe you don't want us to go to? You know, maybe one of the examples that I always use, you know, a very good friend of mine has issues with animal cruelty. So we're running a, a Shadowrun game, which involved, you know, a, a fighting dog ring. At that point, she was like, nope, uh-uh, check, please, I'm out. <laughs> you know, we, we would never do that in a therapeutic session. Like, if you're not comfortable talking about abuse, I'm not going to throw you in a den of child sex slaves. You know, I mean, as it, it might be therapeutically relevant, but it isn't rapport relevant. Because the same way you'd have that rapport with your game master, you need that rapport with the therapist. I mean, a lot of research is going to indicate that the methodology the, or the modality, the approach that you use, is in some ways somewhat secondary to the fact that if you don't have rapport with your therapist, it doesn't matter what they tell you because you're not going to value it because you don't value them because you don't feel they value you. So it, it's a lot about rapport building, respect building. And again, this is where I think the collaborative aspect works best with this method. One, uh, one of the people that I was just having intake on is kind of like, well, like, are you like one of these guys that like, I'm going to say like, hey, I want to do this. And you're like, nope. And I'm like, nope, I ain't going to say that. We follow yes and, which, which is I know something that we have in common with the Adams because, you know, if it's something you want to do as a character, again, as a therapist, I'm like, there's a reason that you want to do that. It might be just for fun, but you know what? You're having fun, so you're getting involved, which means you're getting immersed. If you're getting immersed, we can maybe dive into something a little deeper because now that you're more kind of in the character identity, maybe your player can kind of withstand a little bit of difficult material. A lot of the posts and forums and stuff like that that we share, and one of the persons asked me at one point, well, don't you feel that you might get an ab reaction out of this? Like, this person's going to go through this and, and have this, this horrible adverse reaction to what's going on. And in part, not to sound like cocky or weird or anything, I want that ab reaction. To me, that's the therapeutic clay. So we should be on occasion digging up or mentioning or kind of playing within the uncomfortable because that kind of shifts your, your habit energy, as they would say. You're used to thinking about things in a certain way, or you're used to kind of compartmentalizing things into a certain, you know, a neat and orderly little three-by-three, nine-square box. But life doesn't follow your organizational system. 
you know, it rips up your post-its and throws away your file folders. So dealing with chaos and sometimes that yes hand is a way to introduce that chaos through the other players as well. So uh, we typically run with two facilitators. Normally the way that operates is that during initial sessions, not quite as much on the note-taking. One drives the story mainly, that's pretty much always, while the other facilitator kind of hangs back, plays an NPC here and there, maybe helps adjudicate on a role or two or, you know, some stuff. But really, one is the recorder and one is the GM. That allows one person's vision of the story so there isn't muddled or confusion, but at the same time, it allows that other person to really put that trained therapist eye on the interactions that are going on around the table. You know, you may have agreed to that person's plan, but was there a look that you gave that person? Or was there a certain tone in the voice? Or, you know, did you kind of, you know, throw the dice bag to that other player a little bit more aggressively than they did the last time when they kind of got in the middle of what you wanted to do? And again, that's all going to be relevant as to what the struggle is. So, typical format, intro five to ten minutes, have you been, dive into the story, do the story for the main time, it's about 90 minutes of story, uh, and then we finish up with another kind of outro 15, like what'd you like, what you didn't like, which again, people are like, well, that's kind of heavy therapy, and I go, no, it's the same thing that most people do in the back porch of your GM's house after the session, you just do it individually, we talk like, man, I don't really like that, blah, 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 you know, that sucked, that wasn't a good thing, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, we do we do a lot of that to also allow people to kind of decompress from their character and kind of like, okay, we're, we're going through the RPG airlock back into real life now, so, and we transition out. So, typically our sessions are two hours long, and again, they, they uh, always have two facilitators, and sometimes we may put some ancillary stuff on there. I know one of the persons were talking about him doing a journal in his character identity, uh, partially because one of the, one of the goals is to, is to be a writer. And to kind of write more creatively, so we kind of figured this would be a good way to kind of utilize the game to explore reactions and, and other kinds of things while at the same time kind of helping personally grow. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of different ways to mix things in, and, and those are kind of the basics. Okay. Did any of that raise any questions? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious. First of all, it sounds like you are developing campaigns and maybe even system choices based on the needs that you're addressing. Is that correct? That's very correct. I don't know how separate that makes us from from other providers. I mean, I know a lot of people are kind of locked. And again, this is no insult to anyone or any system. You know, a lot of folks are like, well, D&D Pathfinder. Okay, the, you know, those are great, venerable systems. Accessible you know, they, as they well. Have, I hear that a oh, lot. They're very oh, accessible. Yeah, yeah, Especially 5e. The learning okay. curve is so shallow on there that it's... It's kind of remarkable, actually. And you can pick it up at Barnes & Noble instead of having to go to weird parts of the internet. Yeah, exactly. And the game itself, like, even the art is far less alienating than it has been in the past, I know, at least for mm. me. So. Yeah. Most definitely. I mean, yeah. it, it. and again, it's it's not that D&D isn't a decent system or Pathfinder, because again, I, I played more than my fair share. But I think one of the things that I know that we try to do is like just for example, one of the one of the groups kind of coming up is going to be based around social skills and social interaction. So in this instance I went, huh, dogs are social animals. And we have the whole be a good boy or be a good dog talking about, you know, different aspects. So I thought this might be a decent fit because the material is still fantasy, which is what the players were into, but it's it's providing it in a different way. 
which I also, one of the things that I think is potentially a downside, and only potentially, is I think that if you're too familiar with a system, that level of comfort can act as a shield. Like, you can hide within the game if it's too familiar. Yes. At, at least that's a thought of mine. So, you know, whereas if I have someone who's dealing with resilience issues, like I have a lot of frustra- low frustration tolerance. I don't like when things don't go my way. Okay, um, maybe RetroStar is a great system for you then, because RetroStar and the way that they do the, the dice mechanic is you roll D6s based on, like you take the number of the difficulty of what you're up against versus the number of your skills, you subtract that number, and based on whether it's a positive or negative at the end, you get anywhere from six dice to two dice. Now, if you're rolling two, you have to keep what you get. If you get a negative number, you could be rolling six dice, but you take the worst two results of those six. And if you have six on the positive side, you take the best two results. So the system, and it even shows you in a page, is geared towards your character not succeeding. Because RetroStar emulates late 70s, early 80s science fiction. So it's like your Buck Rogers, your Star Trek, your, you know, all the kinds of stuff like that. So the system is designed for the character to kind of mess up for a while until they kind of find their moment in the last 15 minutes of the episode. And the system also is based not on skills, but intentions. So it's very, it's like method role playing, I guess. So it's, well, what does your character want to happen out of this scene? So it's not, I lockpick. Why does your character want to lockpick? Well, I want to lockpick to get through this door. Yeah, but why do you need to get through the door? Well, because my friend's on the other side. Oh, so your intention is to slice the lock so you can rescue your friend from jail. That then determines if you fail, what did failure look like? Or you could kind of get in the middle if you roll like, I believe it's uh, between a 7 and a 9. You have a choice. You succeed at what you wanted to do, but it didn't entirely happen the way you wanted it to. Or... You can succeed totally the way that you wanted to, but I then get to control as the storyteller what happens to your character after they succeeded. So you slice the door, but then all of a sudden, you know, the big bad guy's beefy guard knocks you out in the back of the head and you fall unconscious. Will you wake up? Mwahaha, that is up to me. But I I think a system designed around quote-unquote failure is an excellent opportunity for the property of the game to speak to a specific skill set. So in this way, we're therapizing not only the narrative, but we're also taking therapeutic benefit from the mechanics. And I think that in some ways, although it is somewhat accessible, I mean, I've sat around D&D where if you got like a party of six people, one combat could take a half an hour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially Mm -hmm. the earlier editions. Oh, boy. Yeah. So that could take away from valuable session time. So it's, it's streamlining it enough to have the rules have meaning, otherwise the world has no meaning. But at the same time, not to get so bogged down into it that you're literally just number like it, this is not a therapy group. It's it's a course in chartered accounting. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I hear you there. Uh, here's the other, I guess, follow up question: Since you're designing courses of therapy that are so personalized, both in terms of system choice, what you're trying to work on, uh, the setting, and story that you're coming up for that game. How big are the groups that you play with? We try to have a group maximum capacity of six. 
Okay. Now, uh, bear in mind that uh, orchestrates that. I mean, if you're running No Thank You Evil, that's a very streamlined system. If you're even running Powered by the Apocalypse Engine, that's a fairly streamlined system because you don't have to deal with a lot of the level up mechanics and a lot of the math because everything is bang right on your sheet. Plus, it's also a very narrative flow-driven game, which is, here's your issue, you tell me what you want to do. So it kind of flows from there. So, I mean, we have we believe that six is, a, is pretty much the max, especially for two GMs. Because mm-hmm. additionally, we don't want anybody to miss out on very critical interaction time. Sure. So if you, ha- if you have too many people, I mean, normally groups, if, if you're getting up to like seven or eight groups for one facilitator, that's considered by a lot to be too many to have any kind of meaningful content for everyone to kind of have their moment, so to speak. So it's almost kind of like, like an arc in a TV series. You know, everybody's got to have their spotlight moment because that gives not only them the chance to kind of shine in an aspect they would want, but it also gives you an opportunity to kind of maybe throw something directed towards that person. Now, in all fairness, in other sessions, it might be more appropriate for me to kind of have the character make a, you know, quote, quote unquote, bonehead kind of play <laughs> so that the other players could kind of go, oh, dude, no, what did you do? You know, so then it's kind of like, well, what should I do, guys? You know, okay, now we're learning getting peer feedback. We're engaging other people for possibilities. We're exploring alternatives. You know, there, there's a lot of aspects of skill building and this is where the whole name of Bodana is perfect for this whole process. Bodana is a Sanskrit word meaning leading to an awakening or an understanding. So that character understanding is that lotus that blossoms within the game. You don't necessarily realize to a large degree that that is what you're kind of like, okay, I need to talk to you because I need to work on my collaboration skills. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not that in your face. But at the same time, through playing the game, you're practicing these skills, which could lead then to the development of that because you're actually practicing it in a way that your brain doesn't distinguish the difference. You're still using the same synapses. It's just fantasy world versus reality world, but the chemicals are still firing. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Did that answer that well? Oh, yeah. 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 It's interesting because it sounds um, – the, the level of personalization that you're putting into this – while I think very appropriate for especially the heavy stuff that you're doing, it is very surprising in some ways, just because it feels like you'd want to have a, I, I almost want to say more consistent approach, but that maybe that's just because of, you know, people we've talked to in the past. This isn't a criticism. It's just, it's surprise as much as anything else. Oh, no, it's, I, I think that it's a, it's a great discussion point because, I mean, one of the things that, and, and again, I know I often kind of get myself in trouble sometimes with some of the more statistically driven. I, again, I'm, I'm all for statistics, things like that. I think that, you know, there's a lot to be said for validation. I think there is a, I won't say a limitation, but I guess there's a, for me anyway, thinking through this process, there's a struggle I go through. Like, let's just say I, I run the exact same adventure for multiple different kinds of people. I guess I believe in the differences between the participants being a little bit more significant than one may, like, I, I could say, well, this person's suffering with grief and loss. Well, if you, if you look at just grief and loss at one aspect, there are so many permutations to how that grief and loss is not only expressed, but also felt and also generated. 
So I, I think that when we're dealing with the mirror, now there are some aspects of this, and, and maybe what it is is we're talking the difference between like maybe a social skills application, which has more universal themes to the application. Yeah, okay. For, uh, do you know what I mean? Like that's, I guess, maybe where I'm kind of thinking. Because uh, again, bean counting notwithstanding, when you talk about things like, you know, ABA, Applied Behavioral Analysis, or doing like an FBA, Functional Behavioral Assessment, you're talking about here's the reason a person does a behavior. So I'm going to track how many times when this happens, I do this, and they respond in this certain way. So we're tracking what a person does, why they do it, and how we can help shape, correct, or alter that behavior through, you know, systems of reward and response. So I think with social skills, it's a little bit easier palette to paint that picture of research with, because in this case, I can measure, okay, at intake session, you interacted with the players five times. During the middle of the session, we found you interacting on average of 15 times per session. Versus at the end, you were interacting a number of 30 times per session. Like, you led the group, man. You were the star player all-star, right? Yeah, I think yeah. that with certain skill sets, especially if they're kind of uh, – and again, they're going to be individually measured. I mean, for me, communication depends on who the person is. Again, there's stages to this. I could I could make eye contact, and for me, that's earth-shattering. You know, the fact that mm. I even looked at another human being as opposed to someone who speaks a little louder or a little bit more confidently. So there's individual markers, but I think that there's also room for certain things to be tracked that depending on the person, the individualized approach is, I think, in some ways harder. And this might just be because, again, maybe I'm more of a session running guy and not enough of a numbers crunching guy. That if we're talking about the development of a certain skill set, like if someone's dealing with anxiety, uh, are they developing or, or demonstrating less anxiety because they've made friends? So, okay, is it the game or is it natural socialization that has helped you? I, I think that certain aspects of this method are a little bit difficult to quantify statistically, whereas anecdotally, there's a lot to be said. Now, on the other hand, anecdotal evidence is personal perspective. So a person could say, well, you just made him feel good about himself because you're a heck of a GM. Did you really do any therapeutic work? Which is why I think a lot of this is kind of rooted in things like cognitive behavioral therapy. We rooted also in, in aspects of mindfulness and, and some parts of dialectical behavioral or rational emotive behavioral therapy, where we learn kind of techniques to get a person to a point where they're more comfortable working with material relevant to an issue or struggle that they are going through. So, so I think that that, in part, makes it difficult. But on the other hand, I think that it was also kind of part of the strength of this model, is that the narrative is truthfully eternal and limitless. So you have to pay attention to how you craft the story to make the story more relevant and meaningful. I mean, it could very easily go off the rails into literally, I'm just getting paid to be a pro-GM. So yeah. there is, I think, a lot of integrity to the process that I, I don't know if necessarily research is the only way to vet that. I, I think that there are standards that need to be enacted where you should base some type of personal reflection tool or, or some type of inventory, if you will, you know, based maybe on what that person is going through. Like if I have anxiety, I demonstrated through A, B, C, and D behaviors. So I'm going to see a reduction in this. So, you know, it's more setting goals for the person 
and then seeing how those personal goals get worked through. So I, I, I think that's all part of the growth of this modality and the fact that it's, it's great that there are so many professionals who are working on it from different aspects that by sharing all of our relative experience kind of at the, at the same table allows us to kind of go, well, but wait a minute, but what about this? You know, it, me and the Adams, we love talking shop. Like just getting together and going, how your session's been? And we'll, and we'll pontificate for like two hours just about <laughs> gaming mechanics or like, can we maybe measure in some way that maybe it's like the level of player? Like, you know how you graduate from being like complete noob neophyte where I'm like, what does this dice do? You know, what's a dice? And then, you know, you graduate then to, I'm a heck of a cleric because that's my class. And then you go cross class and then you maybe go cross system. And after going cross system, maybe you'll start and run your own session. Then from a, a maybe a quick shot, you'll go to run your own campaign, campaign to an epic storyline. Then maybe you'll start running for strangers in a game store at a con. Maybe then you'll go to writing your own adventures and then go to writing your own system. You know what's Is funny there- about that, Jack? That is exactly the process that Gary Gygax lays out in his book. <laughs> Wait a minute, his his role-playing mastery, the one from like 85 or something like that? Yeah, it's yeah. basically you yep. start off as a player and then you become a GM. And then you grow to, I now have written my own modules and now I'm writing my own game and now I'm running my own convention because I'm Gary Gygax and everybody should be me. Um, but it's that exact that same process of I've gone from player to dude with his own system and convention based around that system well and and if you really kind of dissect it it's really quite amazing from it like if you talk about most most psychological underpinnings like if you go back to like Eric Erickson did the whole life cycles theory so talking about at, at, at kind of differing stages of life, you have a certain conflict, I guess is the best word. You have a certain conflict that you're trying to overcome or make sense of to be able to move to another area. Like adolescence, kind of perfect for our conversation, is identity versus role confusion. Okay. So this is the idea behind I need to figure out who the heck I am. So this then explains a lot of things like teenage rebellion. It's not that I really hate what you taught me. I just need to question it to make sure it makes sense for myself. So that way I know that it's genuine to me and what my belief system is. So so rebellion, in some cases, I, you know, I can't say that's 100%, but kind of comes from questioning what we've been given, which is part of how we identify who we really are, rather than uh, who other people have told us we are. So I think that when you look at that whole trajectory from a mastery to the next level standpoint, you're looking at it from, okay, well, what skills do we think a person is working on? And I'm kind of theorizing as I'm talking because this has now got like it's a new bean in my brain. Like what skills turn someone – because we, we all know people that are like, nah, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good just being a player. Sure. But then we have other people who are like, man, I really want to be a GM to people like me who I actually prefer being a GM over being a player. Some people go, well, Jack, you clearly have control issues and you don't like to give up, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I pretty much sit stupid and quiet while everybody else feeds me good ideas. I'm just good at voices and jokes. You know what I mean? But I I think that there's different skill sets for each of those different roles at different levels. And if we could tap into that as almost like a growth chart of a gamer, 
and, and this is actually a big, uh, we had a, like a discussion panel on it at one of the years of Save Against Fear, where, where we were talking a lot about the personal graduation and development of a gamer while they go through these stages of the hobby. And, you know, it, it is that aspect of the confidence of, of playing other characters. I mean, most people running role-playing games barely know who they are. Yet, when you're talking about adolescence, and all of a sudden you're kind of going in, and now I'm playing this character, who's this person, this person. You know, those might make our best GMs, because they're exploring their own role and personality through testing out these other identities, through testing out these other personalities. Or, if I'm playing an alcoholic in a game, how I play that character says a lot about how I look at substance issues. Because that's my interpretation. You know, you take it Freud if you want. How you play women as a man tells me about your mother. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to kind of slice this. But I, I think that gaming as therapy as play allows for exploration, which I think is a lot more comfortable and even more accessible than traditional therapy, no matter how nice and personal you are. Because it, it, it gives you that other aspect of yourself to kind of just run rampant inside of. So, I mean, that, yeah, that, that's something I've always been fascinated, like how you got from one stage to the other, especially, yeah, I'm going to tackle mechanics and then figure out what mechanics make sense. I mean, that, that's some high level interpretation. You're basically turning the world into numbers. Like what, what does that tell you about how you, like how you handle social conflict in a game that can tell you a lot about how that person views the whole back-and-forth process of negotiation and confrontation, you know, just from how you turn that into dice rolls and mechanics. Okay. Huh. It's very hard to come up with a follow-up to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow, there was so much stuff in there. Which part do I want to ask him about? Yeah. <laughs> I will say this, kind of listening to this discussion of, you know, what you do and it really does sound like there's a little bit of a paradox there where if it's not enough fun, then it stops working as therapy. But if it's too much fun, it's hard to argue that it is. I would definitely agree that that is a paradox. Uh, I just did an interview with Rewire from PBS and they were talking to me and asking about, you know, one of the, what is one of the biggest struggles you feel? Now, obviously, I'm going to completely jump into, you know, Saren Hawk's back pocket here, you know, about the need for research and validation. You know, I might not be that guy to do it, but I, I totally think it needs to be there. And I'll help. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I think that one of the biggest struggles in legitimacy is the fact that, you know, and again, I hate to drudge up this old skeleton out of the ground, but... You know, the whole view of role-playing games and play in general, like I, I've talked to people and, you know, I'm mentioning role-playing games to this person. All of a sudden, you know, it's it's like that Twilight episode of Kick the Can where all of a sudden this like 40-year-old dude is like a 12-year-old kid and he's talking about his, his wizard character who's so B.A. and, you know, he did this and this and that. And I'm like, God, do you still play? And he looks at me like I just offered him drugs. Like, and I'm like, dude, wait a minute. Like, we were, ju we were just having a cool conversation here about awesome D&D. &D, and now it's like, oh, you're such a child. You know, and it's, and it's like, I play horror games. Does that make me a grown up? Like, how does this work? I don't understand. And I, and I think that that's part of the legitimacy. Cause I know I've, I've already had like questions of, of parents who love the reaction that they're seeing 
from the game with with their kids. You know, they're seeing kids forge these these great friendships, and like inside of three sessions, we got kids going, "Man, don't mess this up for the group." And I'm like, "Wow, we just introduced you all to each other like two and a half weeks ago." <laughs> And all of a sudden, you're a group now? Like, when did the, did you meet up for pizza at the malt shop when I wasn't looking? So <laughs> these quick connections and the game facilitates a lot of that kind of interaction. But I still see a lot of people like, and I kind of paraphrase it. Okay, so I'm paying you what an hour to play a game with my kid? Like, can I just drop them off at a local game store and kind of get the same thing? So I think a lot of it, is once you start talking about how we as human beings and we as a culture, we tell stories, you know, way back from, you know, Kachinas and, you know, if you want to talk about like Kabuki theater or, you know, Native American shaman, you know, uh, storytellers from every culture and era, we, we tell stories because that's what connects us. Stories are where we go, oh, yeah, I've been through that. That must suck come here for a hug, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, that's ridiculous. You're making that up. Yeah. You know, it, stories are where, are where we facilitate life. And even further, like with the brain, the way we craft stories is how we create identity. Yeah. There's actually a relatively new prayer within uh, the Anglican litany that refers to story as a holy gift. And as a really? he yeah, yeah, because um, it's part of the Truth and Reconciliation Act with Native individuals telling their stories about uh, the residential schools. That That's where it came out of. And the Anglican Church was unfortunately part of the residential schools. However, we were also the first de denomination of church to formally apologize at a very high level for our hand in that. But out of that comes a prayer that mentions the Holy Gift of Story, and I'll, I'll link it get in the show notes somewhere, because it's, it's a very, very good prayer that I think could apply a lot to a, a whole slew of what we're talking about right now, because it, it talks about healing through, through telling your own stories uh, through different mediums and stuff. It's, it's a good prayer. Cool. Well, and to get back to what Jack said kind of at the beginning about, you know, oh, can't I just drop my kid off at a local gaming store and get the same benefit? The answer to that question is probably... Maybe, but you might also have something go in the other direction and you'll never know until you try. This uh -huh. place is safe, right? I mean, that's that's one yeah. of the, the major benefits of being intentional about this stuff. That is the magic word, really, Peter, is it's intentionality with the fact, I mean, again, one of the things that, I, that I'll often always also say is a great GM is not necessarily a great therapist. And a great therapist doesn't make a great GM. I mean, I know people that run some phenomenal groups, but I would not trust them behind a screen because it is that very rare mix of one of the, one of the interesting things about uh, we've been learning so much about the brain and memory and, and the fact that, you know, witness testimony is probably the worst thing we bring into a courtroom because our brains don't store memory like a computer stores a file. Our brain recalls based upon what's going on. So if I tell you a story about, you know, me in a, in a fifth grade play, you know, and I tell you that story and I, and I, and I use a different word than I did maybe within the, you know, Grant, I tell you the one time and, you know, I use this word and you kind of shy away from the word because you don't like it. So the next time I tell it to Jenny, I'll, I'll use a different word and she'll kind of smile and giggle a little bit. I go, oh, okay. So it's that word now. So by the time I get to Peter to tell this story, I've already edited my own narrative due to the fact that I'm getting a social attaboy. So someone's already telling me through that telling of that story and the reaction I got from her, 
ooh, I should tell it this way this time. So maybe this time I might try to go a little bit further. Maybe maybe Peter and I are, you know, we're meeting over drinks, so I'm a little bit looser with my interpretation. So now that word change may turn into an exaggeration. But the idea is the more I'm telling this story with this alternate affirmation, it's a solitaire version of Whisper Down the Lane. And what people don't realize is that actually reconstructs the narrative. So hindsight is never 2020. Hindsight is the glasses we put on to make it 2020. Because the vision of it, it's lost. It's a moment in time. We have certain information, certain facts, but again, what we remember about things is going to be relevant on all the chemical interplay that ping-pongs and pinballs throughout our head while it's happening. That's why you, we, we usually remember very highs or very lows. We don't remember mediocre because it doesn't make a chemical imprint to us. It's not relevant enough for our brain to go, oh, oh, oh I'm going to remember that one for sure, because the brain's like, eh, whatever, didn't really matter. So when we talk about telling stories then, those stories that we tell about our character they are just as synonymous in our identity as the stories we tell about fictional creation. This is why we put, our, we put ourselves into our creation. This is why Bangor, Maine is Stephen King's staple. It's part of his identity, you know, that gets injected into that narrative. And a lot of aspects of what we write about, you know, authors write different books. Painters make different paintings for different times in their life. You know, people come upon an invention when, when their life is is appropriate for what they've gone through at that time. So our, our mind works and creates with, uh, I think, what we need at that moment, be it escape, be it creation for, for, for therapeutic necessity, whatever it might be. And I think that a lot of times people zone in way too much about the game and the fact that it's playing. So they assume because it's play, it's more fun and you can't possibly be doing anything worthwhile if you're having fun. It's got to be serious work as sweat and blood and tears and, you know, you might break a bone or two. That's when you're living, buddy. You know what I mean? So I, I think that that's been one of my big things is just trying to legitimize the idea. But once you start taking people through, you know, how playing house develops role identity for gender and it helps us, you know, rationalize to some degree what we feel about mommies and daddies and what they should do and whether it's going to be mommies and mommies or daddies and daddies. A lot of that storytelling and creativity that we do, I think, is very, very much at the heart of this process. And I, and I think that that can never be ignored, but I think people like to overlook it because it doesn't seem like it's serious enough. Yeah. I think sometimes we have a negative reaction to the idea of play at all. We're either working on something or we are playing, but we can never be doing both at once. <laughs> Which, to be honest, is a really destructive attitude because oh, yeah. when people enjoy things, they tend to do better at them. <laughs> yeah. It's that chemical attaboy when, when we're doing, I mean, this is why Xbox Live achievements are genius because they keep you playing because you've got, ooh, you know, it's a piece of candy, piece yeah. of candy, you know? <laughs> it's why idle games work. And it's why, you know, this is something I do with my kid all the time. Hey, we need to do work. Let's turn it into a game because we can be productive and have fun at the same time. You know, we turn laundry into a game. We turn cleaning up into a race between her and 
the one and a half year old and guess what she wins so it's fun <laughs> you know yeah. and the one and a half year old doesn't realize he lost so it's fun exactly but he's <laughs> yeah. having fun right. running around throwing things in boxes so he's he's having the time of his life too because that's fun for a one and a half year old plays therapy yeah that idea that we somehow have to either be having intense serious dramatic focused therapy or play is not really how humans behave or think or act or reward themselves and it's something i think we know deep down but we have this culture of being grown up yeah and yeah. it causes problems i to what's that c.s lewis quote well i was going to actually go back to that joy davidman quote this is c.s lewis's wife poet and essayist in her own right excellent author and she was talking about the sabbath and she once observed that uh, many people recast the fourth commandment, you know, keep the Sabbath day, keep it holy, as thou shalt not enjoy life on Sunday. <laughs> Which is like diametrically opposed to what it should mean. Yeah, it, the spiritual purpose is to enjoy life and relax and enjoy the fact that you are alive and you can worship and you can take time as a community to enjoy good things rather than working because time off is something that you didn't have as slaves in Egypt. You know, it's what free holy people get that slaves to the material world never get. That idea that we have fun and that fun completes us is very spiritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's very innate to us as uh, just as as creatures and as the animal portion of us. I mean, the animal kingdom. And again, people try and ruin the beauty of my my dog tossing around, you know, like a little, you know, stuffed whatsamahoozus. And it's like, <laughs> well, he's just practicing snapping the neck of other creatures. And I'm like, will you go away for a while and let me enjoy my dog <laughs> acting like a nut? Like, yeah. could you please not to take the sugar off of all of my Frosted Flakes, please? You know, he's not practicing it by bringing it to you and having fun every time you throw it to him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or like the game that cats will sometimes play where you peek at them around the corner and they peek at you and then... You know, you pull back and at some point they run around and go up on their hind legs and startle the living daylights out of you. That's not <laughs> yeah. a predation skill. That's goofing off. I think yeah. that's just your cat, just to be clear. Well, that was our last cat, actually. But no. <laughs> ours, just, ours just, just, she just makes it her goal to be as underfoot as possible. Oh, she yeah. would kill a like a full-grown bull just by laying down on one of its hoofs. I believe it. That's cats for you. All right. <laughs> It's getting well past our usual cutoff time. Oh, Not yeah. that I mind talking to Jack at all, but we should probably let everybody, you know, have their evening here. And we're talking about cats, so we've probably run off the rails somewhere along the way. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. Jack, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a delight, as always. Yeah. We need to make this a more regular thing, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's been I, great I, meeting you for the first time. It's, it's been really cool. Oh, it's it's been awesome being on again and meet, meeting you. I hope I get the chance to meet you in uh, in person, and of oh, yeah. course have everybody down in the future. This is this this was even better than the last time. Awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Well, Jack, uh, if people want to find the Madonna Group, we'll obviously link this in the show notes. But for those who maybe are just listening right now, where can they find you? 
Well, uh, you can find the Bodana Group at uh, many, many different places. Uh, our main webpage, you can get at either through www.thebodanagroup.org or through www.saveagainstfear.com, which again is our uh, annual fundraiser coming up October 13th through 15th in Harrisburg. You can also find us on Facebook. We have pages, uh, the Bodana Group Facebook, and we also have Save Against Fear Facebook pages. Uh, and I'd also like to kind of encourage folks, uh, if, if you want to know how you can kind of help us out, we take all kind of manner of assistance. We have a very growing uh, cadre of what we call our uh, the Bodana Brigade, which <laughs> is our cadre of volunteers and minions who volunteer at local game stores to run events. Uh, they come and obviously help out at Save Against Fear. Additionally, if you, if you would like to make uh, a cash donation to the Bodana Group, that is certainly definitely welcome. We are, as I said, a 501c3 registered charity. And all of that information, our donate button is right on our webpage. At this point, we are still predominantly uh, kind of volunteer time. Bodana is uh, what I can accomplish in the time outside of my nine to five, if you can believe that. So, so all of this that we do is is done between the hours of six o'clock and twelve o'clock weekdays and on weekends. Uh, but it it doesn't even seem like work. So you know it's definitely enjoyable. So please help out in whichever way you can. We also take game donations, uh, which our address is on our website. Just contact us at the Bodana Group at gmail dot com or through one of the Facebook portals. So I, I guess that's pretty much, I think I've uh, Christmas tree overloaded the socket with as many plugs as possible. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to start a charity fire here. I've, I've plugged so much. Let in. me throw one more in here. Speaking of Christmas shopping, one way I've been helping the Bodana group out, and this is an easy way to do it. If you go to smile.amazon.com, uh, you can pick a registered 501c3 and some small portion of your purchase, the the money goes to that selected charity. So if you have to place an Amazon order, you can just pick the Badana group as your charity of choice for smile.amazon.com and it'll go there. And there are a couple of other different sites that let you do things like that. So it's a an easy way to just get a little bit of help in here and there for organizations like this. And, and it doesn't have to be just game purchases that no. you do that. In, in case you feel guilty about neglecting your uh, friendly local game store, you don't have to. <laughs> you can do it ordering a ladder. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. <laughs> cool stuff like that. I mean, it's, oh, there are all these little you. incidental ways to help out organizations that add up after a while. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Jack, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Say hello to everybody else at uh, Bonana Group for us. You know, we've interacted with a few of them over the years as well. You work with some amazing people. Don't, don't I know it. And, and the three of you are most definitely included. I, uh, on behalf of Bodana and myself, thank you wonderfully much again for, for having us on Saving the Game, giving us the opportunity to talk about the things we love and, and the mission of uh, therapeutic and beneficial gaming. And, and please just don't ever, st- don't ever stop what it is that you're doing. Oh, we appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't think we've got anything else on this end of things, so I think we should just wrap this up. Unless no, either, I you think have we're in nope. a pretty good spot here. So, yeah, excellent. Well, from all of us here at Saving the Game and the Madonna Group, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. See ya. Bye bye. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. 
Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.